Anchorette had been up all night and had seen a babe safely delivered into a bloody world. The healthy cries had been a relief, both to the mother and father and to Anchorette. She had often attended her mother in deliveries, but she was only a girl of twelve. This was one of the first birthings she'd handled alone. From her experiences with her mother, she'd learned birth was an ordeal of pain and suffering that could bring exquisite joy or crushing grief. And she was grateful this difficult night had ended in joy. She was exhausted, relieved, and excited to share her success with her mother. The streets of York were bustling with life. The air was filled with the noises of squawking chickens, the panting and yapping of dogs, the rattling of cartwheels, and the grumbling of voices thick with the accent of the North, all melodies she had listened to her entire life. Something jarred within the normal chorus, however. The heavy bootfalls and the slight jangle of spurs of someone walking behind her. It was those spurs that had pricked her attention, making the noise memorable and out of place. Anchorette was wrapped in a thin cloak, and the morning air was just chilly enough to make her breath come out in a puff. The dress beneath her cloak was begrimed from the birthing process. She needed to wash the dress before she slept, so that the bloodstains wouldn't linger. She turned the corner, heading toward her mother's small home, and the sound of the spurs followed her. She had noticed the noise before, but it hadn't alarmed her. There were plenty of people on the street, and there'd been no reason to believe the footsteps were following her. Now it was undeniable. The clink of the spurs continued at a steady rate, and the man, for it was a man, the tread was heavy enough, did not attempt to pass her. He was deliberately keeping his pace to match hers. A spike of unease pierced her chest, but she attempted to ignore it. She was near her home, and there were others on the street. No one would accost her in daylight. In fact, most of the people of York recognized the midwife's daughter and would come to her aid if she called for help. Anchorette risked a backward glance, just a brief one, and saw that her pursuer was a soldier wearing a badge. The man carried a sword and made no attempt to hide his martial insignia, a lumpy tree with a muzzled bear. The bear and ragged staff, that was the emblem of the Duke of Warwick, the richest lord in all of Ceredigion. What would one of his soldiers be doing in York? She quickened her stride, her fatigue from the long night melting away with the threat. Her mind began to work furiously, trying to decide on a strategy. In the horrible years of civil war, she had grown accustomed to dangers and threats. As the kingdom tottered between the control of various nobles, the citizens had borne much grief and heartache. Her own city, York, had played a decisive role in the success of Eridur's kingship and her father's murder. The jangle of the spurs didn't increase with her new pace, and she felt a spurt of relief. Perhaps it had been foolish to assume the worst. She turned the corner of the crowded street and her mother's dwelling came into sight, a narrow two-story home wedged in between the apothecary shop and Mickle the barber. Her mother had cleverly chosen to move next to the apothecary, 
to save time in fetching the various herbs used for remedies during childbirth. And Mikkel had come because he sought to woo Anchorette's mother, who was still a handsome woman. His attentions were treated with kindness, but the midwife had no intention of remarrying. Through the crowd, Anchorette noticed there were horses tied up in front of all three stores, and soldiers were milling around. Soldiers who also wore the badge of the bear and ragged staff. Anchorette's stomach squeezed in on itself, and she stopped in her tracks. Why were Warwick's soldiers there? It was possible they had come to see Mikkel the barber, but Anchorette felt a queer sensation that they had come instead for her. But why? She was twelve years old, a girl of significance to no one apart from the families she helped. There was no time to think. The subtle clink of the spurs came up behind her. The beat of her pulse in her temples was deafening. Her mouth was so dry she was afraid she'd choke. Her eyes were fixed on the guards stationed outside her home. One of them had already noticed her and she watched as he leaned in and said something to the others, all their heads turned toward her as one. It's all right, lass, said a voice in a northern brogue behind her. Don't be alarmed. You should feel honored to have gained the notice of such a powerful lord. Your mother awaits you at home and can tell you the news first, as is proper. She turned fully around, getting a good look at him for the first time. He had eyes that were gray or green, she wasn't sure which. A knight's swagger and a precocious smile. His thumbs hooked in a broad leather belt that boasted the nicked and scarred sheath of a sword that had clearly seen battle. His knuckles had been battered, there was a scar on his brow, and the little flat part on his nose indicated a healed break. His hair was dark brown, thick around his ears and shorn above his collar. There was a ring on his finger not a wedding band, for it was on his littlest finger. He wore a chain hauberk beneath his tunic. If she were to guess, the man was five or six years her senior. Who are you? She asked him, staring at his face. He was handsome despite his scars. Sir Thomas, he answered with a courteous nod. Do you recognize my badge, lass? She nodded her throat slowly unloosing as she tried to force her thoughts to be calm. You serve the Duke of Warwick? Aye, lass, I do. You look weary. You've been up all night. 